Well, speaking of tithes and offerings, uh, in between the Christmas and New Year period, I had the opportunity to read The Barefoot Investor. I really enjoyed reading this book. Um, The thing that it probably alerted me to more than anything else was the significance of superannuation and the importance of, you know, building that up from an early age and considering your future when it comes to your finances. I know when, you know, even in the stage of life I'm in right now, it's literally about just one foot in front of the other. When you're raising a young family, when you're paying a mortgage off, it's just one day at a time. But this book kind of opened my eyes to think broader, to think bigger, and to think about the type of retirement, perhaps, that that I would like to have, that many of you now enjoy at my envy. (laughs) And uh, so I got reading and... So I thought about this book, it kind of taught me that, you know, to retire well, you, you need to have your house paid off, and you need to have worked up a good retirement nest egg, and you do that by putting superannuation away or having other investments that you can sell and so forth. Um, but it got me thinking that for most people, not all, but most people basically spend, you know, 40, 50 or so years working in order to pay off their house and save up enough to be able to retire on and live at the same time. And uh, some people can have a different experience, but I think for the majority of people, that's kind of the journey, right? Now, imagine if on your 21st birthday, uh, you happened to inherit $10 million from some long-lost relative that you knew nothing about. Enough money to buy a beautiful home, enough money to invest and live off comfortably for the rest of your life as a 21-year-old. Imagine that. Would that not be a significant game-changer in your world? The premise of Jesus the game-changer is that Jesus has come into the world as a real historical person and has made an incredible difference in the lives of billions of people. And he continues to, to this day. We here at Erina Community Baptist are joining with churches right across the nation of varying denominations who are taking part in this national campaign, Jesus the Game Changer, how the life and teaching of Jesus made such a significant difference in Western society. And over the coming weeks, and over the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at today, we're going to start with the historical Jesus, that Jesus was, in fact, a person in history that we can have great confidence in. We're going to talk about equality, the difference Jesus has made with women and children in regards to care and leadership and forgiveness. And those who have joined growth groups and are doing the study, there are additional topics to cover, including democracy, education and health, wealth, science and reason. And what this series will do for you is it is really going to build your faith. You know, faith is something that needs continually to be exercised to grow. And I am confident that as we work through this series, you're going to find this is going to add real flex to your muscle because there's so much wonderful evidence for our faith. It is definitely not a blind faith. Firstly, as we're going to hear today about the, the person of Jesus, but then the incredible difference that Jesus has made and continues to make in our society and culture that we live in today. 
But I want to say right from the outset that no matter how good an argument we might have as believers and followers in Jesus for the case for Christ, no heart will ever be changed by an argument, no matter how good it is. It is only the work of the Holy Spirit that can change a person's heart. And so as we go through this series, you might find yourself actually feeling equipped to have conversations with people about the confidence in your faith. And if that is the outcome, that is a wonderful outcome. And I trust that is actually your experience. But again, I want to say at the outset, remember Peter's advice to give a reason, to give a hope for the reason that we have with gentleness and respect. In order for someone to come to know the Lord, it requires an open heart and the receptiveness of his Holy Spirit to do a work. For us as believers, we have a responsibility as evangelists and witnesses to share our faith. And as we do that, God in his goodness might at times connect us with someone who his Holy Spirit is doing a work in and they're ready and open and receptive. Something amazing will take place. But we, as God's people, always need to respect, to speak with gentleness and respect. Not with arrogance or with some kind of confidence that says, I'm better than you. There's wonderful evidence for our faith. But we need to always remember that we speak to people with gentleness and respect, and that is what will actually win them over, trusting that the Holy Spirit is doing a great work already. In 2016, authors Skeener and Ward released this book called Who's Bigger? And basically they did a study. We, we, we heard an interview for those who watched the clip this week with one of the authors. They did a, an incredible survey and study and looked at throughout all of history who, have, who has been the most influential figure who ever lived. They're not looking at this from a Christian perspective. They're looking at the whole world. They're looking at different figures that have lived throughout society and using different measurements to try and understand that. And the person who came out on top was Jesus of Nazareth, a secular book looking at who is the most influential figure who ever lived in history, Jesus of Nazareth. And this is surprising when you consider how little Jesus left behind when he left this earth. Author and pastor John Ortberg said, think about how little Jesus left behind when he left this earth. He didn't own any property. He didn't write any books. He didn't start any organizations. The church was not started by Jesus, remember? His followers began the church after he had ascended. Jesus didn't hold any political positions. We read in Acts 1.15, Peter is addressing a group of followers in the upper room. There's some 120 followers. He didn't have many followers at the time of when he left this earth. And in his short ministry, he had a very limited travel area. He didn't actually go very far geographically. And yet, in spite of all of this, Jesus is the most influential person in history. Now, I don't know what that does for you. But for me, as a follower of Jesus, that just fills my heart with pride, not, not in a proud sense, but in a real deep assurance sense of I'm placing my faith in a person who was real and a person who continues to make a difference. There are four key issues for us to consider when we think about 
the most influential person being Jesus. And the first is that Jesus was in fact a person in history. How can we have confidence in this? Well, Jesus Christ lived and died and the amount of time and, and rose through the resurrection. And the amount of time or the, the gap between when Jesus ascended to heaven and the first gospel was written is estimated to be around 25 years. That's not a long period of time from when Jesus ascended to when, he, uh, when the first gospel account was written. Um, and, and there are still thousands of original manuscripts, either whole or partial, in existence. So one of these documents that was written here, we still actually have in uh, today, which is quite remarkable. Now compare this with a historical figure like Julius Caesar. No one would question um, the validity of, of his historical um, nature. And the events of his conquest, uh, there's about a thousand year span, right? So he lived here. There's about a thousand years before the documents were recorded uh, for his life and his conquers and so forth. And there's only a couple manuscripts that remain to this day. That's, that's something, isn't it? Um, also, there were so, but that 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 in itself is literally just speaking about the gospel accounts. And a lot of people would say, "Well, the Bible's just a story; it's just a myth." But hang on, there are also other historical accounts and records outside of the Bible that give testimony to the life and ministry of Jesus and his followers. Three in particular. There's Tacitus, who was a Roman senator and historian of the Roman Empire who lived between 58 and 120 AD. There's Josephus, a Jewish scholar and historian, and Pliny the Younger, a Roman senator. All three of these authors, these are very highly educated men who wrote, who had records, and in all three of their writings they mention Jesus of Nazareth. These are examples outside of Scripture that give confidence to the historical Jesus. So that's the first thing. We know that Jesus was a person in history because we judge history by the records that have been kept. And the records that have been kept of Jesus are overwhelming in his favour. Second, what we know of Jesus was from those who actually wanted to write his story. Unlike those other three writers that I just mentioned, Okay, they're just, they're just kind of documenting Jesus and his followers purely from a historical perspective. However, the accounts that we have in the Gospels were written, some of them by eyewitnesses, if not written directly by an eyewitness. Because of that 25-year span, they are able to have commentary with eyewitnesses. So what we know from those who did write his story is that they actually had a motivation. They wanted people to hear about the story of Jesus. And our first passage is from Luke 1, 1 to 4, where Luke, the author who we know was a doctor, sets out the reason for why he wrote his account. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those 
from who were first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And then John, who was an eyewitness of Jesus, writes this near the end of his gospel. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. You see, for John, the accounts of Jesus were not just written purely out of history. They were written with an intention in mind. The people would come to see that Jesus really was the Son of God and that by repenting of their sin and placing their trust in him, they might have life and life eternal. Near the, right near the end of his gospel, John then testifies about who he is, the author of the gospel that he wrote. And he says, This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. When we read John's gospel, we read the gospel of an eyewitness account. Imagine if, like John, you spent three years with Jesus. Every day was with Jesus. Imagine all of that, everything you would have within you. It must have been quite a task to, to, to capture just the essence of what he wanted to share. But how awesome that when we read the Gospels, we are reading from an eyewitness account. That is incredibly different to any other historical document you will read, which doesn't come anywhere close to an eyewitness account. We can have great confidence in Jesus because he was a person in history. We can have great confidence in Jesus because there are eyewitness accounts, and those who wrote about him had motives to be able to share the difference that Jesus could make in other people's lives. Oh dear. (laughs) Are you able to just take me to the next slide, Em? (laughs) Fantastic. The third reason that we can have faith and trust in Jesus, the game-changer, is that those who followed Jesus gave their lives for what they believed. When Jesus ascended to heaven, there were 11 disciples. Throughout his life and ministry, you'll often hear there were 12, and one of those was Judas. So when Jesus ascended or when Jesus died, there were 11. And all but one, John, the eyewitness account who we just spoke a moment ago, um, he is the only one that died a natural death. Ten of Jesus' disciples all died through persecution and suffering and martyrdom. And I guess the question is, um, would ten men go through the suffering, including death, for a lie? And this is what many people have suggested, that the death and resurrection story of Jesus was something that was just added on. Yes, people are happy to accept that Jesus was a great teacher, But that's where it ends. 
the miracles, indeed the resurrection, the greatest miracle of all, was something that was just kind of added on by his followers at a later date to prove all of these stories. So they say, sure, Jesus may have existed in history, but surely the resurrection cannot be true. And as I mentioned, they would go on to say that his followers, the sceptics would go on to say that his followers made up the stories. Only one dying a natural death. Would all ten disciples really suffer for that reason though? And here's a great, a great example here. So Charles Colson, who was a White House attorney, um, imprisoned for conspiracy during the Nixon scandal, came to faith in prison. And whilst he was in prison, he began uh, the fellowship, the prison fellowship ministry, which is an international ministry. And through Colson's experience, the Watergate demonstrated to him the truth of the resurrection. Hear what he says. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified, and I, let me just stop you for the minute. He's now saying 12, and a minute ago I mentioned there were 11. The Apostle Paul is also considered an eyewitness who also suffered martyrdom. So when a Colson is saying 12 here, he is also including the Apostle Paul. Because 12 men were testified, they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. <laughs> You're telling me two apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Further dilemmas is 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5, and we'll, we'll have a look at that in a moment. But this passage um, indicates, in Acts, 12, Acts 18, 12, the timing of 1 Corinthians 15, 5 is confirmed. So Acts 18, 12 says this, While Gallio was pronskol of Arche, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. What is a pronskol? What is a proconsul? I'm very grateful for Google in, in this day and age. So a proconsul is like a governor, a senator, if you like, someone who governs over a particular region. And the particular region or the senator of um, Arche at this time of writing Acts 18 was Galileo. And where this gets interesting is we can place Paul in Corinth when Gallio, a different figure here, Galileo was a pronskol in Corinth. Um, now, how I've come to understand this is, let's just say, so the, the, the role of a um, proconsul is a little bit like a state premier, okay? So if we're looking back historically and we go, well, okay, Barry, so, so let's just think Acts 18 is, is almost like saying Barry O'Farrell was the premier of New South Wales, Right? So we go, okay, we look and say Barry O'Farrell was the Premier of New South Wales for this period of time. And we want to find out who the Premier of Queensland was during the same time as Barry O'Farrell's Premiership. So all we need to do is then find out who's the Premier, and one of the Premiers during his time was Anna Bly. 
Okay, so that's kind of what, what, that's what they're doing, is they're looking at this evidence here, and Paul's mentioned these two names of these two different regions, and histori- history backs it up. And so um, Galileo can be accurately dated between AD July 51 and 52. Lots of evidence to confirm that fact. And Corinthians was written around AD 55. Now, the interesting thing about Corinthians 15, 1 to 5, is it, it contains what appears to be a poem or a creed or a statement that was already in existence before Paul wrote. It's as if he's put this into his, into his letter to the Corinthians, sort of saying, well, this is what the early church believes. This is what we believe. And here's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 5. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word, I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. And here's the part, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Now, what's interesting to me here is that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church a letter which now forms part of our New Testament, which we would refer to as the Scriptures. When Paul is writing this letter, there is no New Testament in existence. There is only the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. So when Paul refers to the Scriptures, he is referring to the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, some time has passed between the ascension of Jesus and Paul's experience on the Damascus Road, which we'll come to shortly, and when he wrote his letter to the church in Corinth, as well as the fact that the church has now had more than 20 years to examine the Hebrew Scriptures, and to look at all the prophecies that point to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. For one thing, they would have figured out that Jonah the prophet is a brilliant example of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. And there are all kinds of prophecies in Isaiah about the suffering servant who would suffer on behalf of his people. So we can say that the early church had a very firm grip on the Hebrew Scriptures and the prophecies that had been fulfilled through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And this gave the early church incredible confidence in Jesus and in his ministry that it was foretold, that it was enacted, and it was still real. And so 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5 demonstrates that belief and acceptance of the death and resurrection of Jesus was absolutely foundational for the church right from its origin. Therefore, it cannot be something that was made up or added to at a later date. Does that make sense? Fourth, Jesus did not start an ideological movement to change society. Jesus has always been about changing lives one person at a time. And Jesus the Game Changer series will look at the impact of Jesus' life and teaching and the difference that Jesus has had on the foundational values of Western society. 
But if we think that Jesus only came to change kind of whole um, structures and foundations and values of societies, we would be mistaken. Jesus has always came, Jesus, Jesus came, and Jesus continues to come to change one person at a time. You can only change society one person at a time. And Jesus' teaching certainly did change societies, but many lives have been changed through Jesus' life and ministry. Particularly, lives have been changed from people who were not looking for change and were not looking for Jesus. Here are three quick examples to finish us off. Three people whose lives were changed, who were not looking for change, and who were not looking for Jesus, the first being St. Paul. As many would know, St. Paul was a prominent Jew and Pharisee. He was highly educated and came from a family background of great privilege and respect. In Acts, and Paul was known to persecute Christians. In Acts 26, 9 to 11, Paul spoke to Agrippa about his obsession to persecute followers of Jesus. We read in Acts 26, 9 to 11, these are the words of the Apostle Paul. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Clearly, Paul was not looking to become a follower of Jesus. He was anything but then he had a radical encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. And this is known as the Damascus Road account. I won't read about it now. You can read that later. But Paul was not looking to change. He was not looking for Jesus. And he had an incredible encounter with the living Lord Jesus and went on to become arguably the greatest missionary our world has ever known. The second person is Augustine who was a 4th century brilliant academic who rejected his mother's faith. He pursued a hedonistic lifestyle. Thank you, Google. Hedonistic means a life of pure pleasure and pursuit of self. So he was a man who had great education, great influence, great capacity to do much for society and for others, a very gifted individual, but threw away his mother's faith and threw away any possibility to make any difference and pursued a life of pleasure and self-fulfillment, so much so that at the age of 15, he had a mistress. And that just gives us a little bit of insight into the kind of lifestyle he was living. Years later, Augustine had this incredible encounter with God in his garden, where an audible voice spoke to him these words, take up and read. <laughs> and he knew that the voice who was speaking to him was a voice of God or the voice of an, an angel. There were, he had a Bible, he had access to the Scriptures. And he began to read the book of Romans. 
and in which he encountered the grace and love of God and turned his life around completely. He went on to become the Bishop of Hippo in North Africa and is one of the greatest minds the church has ever seen. Augustine was not looking for Jesus. He was not looking to change his hedonistic lifestyle. And yet Jesus changed him. Jesus was the game changer in his life. Thirdly, a contemporary figure, Professor Ian Harper, who was an Australian academic and economist. Many of us witnessed his testimony on the DVD during the week. And Ian grew up as an atheist. He had no faith. Later on in life, his wife came to faith and became a follower of Jesus. But Ian remained a staunch atheist. He began to attend church with his wife just to keep the family peace. And they attended the Glen Waverley Anglican Church uh, where Rector John Harrower was the minister. And it was obvious to John that Ian was a great sceptic and would often sit through John's sermons, raising eyebrows all over the shop and uh, not really taking any interest in the message and the content. And one day, John confronted Ian about his, about his attitude and about his stance and basically said, why do you continue to come to church and hear what I'm teaching when you're so sceptical and rude about it. And basically Ian said to him, well, if you can prove to me that it's real, if you can show me that it's real, then I'll consider it. And that then began a series of meetings, of exploring some of the things perhaps that we've explored today. And then on one Christmas Day service, Ian was in church with his family as he had usually been. And he had an encounter with the living God and went to receive communion and just had a sense in his heart that it was true and went on to give his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ian Harper was not looking to change his life. He was not looking to find and follow Jesus. And yet he now is a follower of Jesus. You see, my friends... Through Jesus the Series campaign, we're going to look at all kinds of dramatic changes that Jesus has made historically and continues to make in society today. But Jesus' method and model has always been to change one life at a time. And I'm wondering today where you are at. Have you had your life changed by Jesus Have you encountered the living God through his son, Jesus Christ? Jesus wants to be the game changer in your life. The gift that Jesus offers is far better than a check for $10 million. What Jesus offers you is not only life in abundance now, but life eternal No earthly check can match that. Friends, Jesus, the game changer, wants to change your life. And I trust that over this series, he does. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you 
that you are real and that you are living. And we have declared that truth and we believe it. And Jesus, thank you that you continue to impact and change people's lives today, particularly people, Lord, who have no interest in you. By the work and the power of your Holy Spirit and the obedience of your church and its people who are witnesses to your grace, you continue to change people's hearts to this day. God, I would pray that today, that right now, here in this room, there would be somebody's life who you're going to change. And if you're that person sitting there right now who knows deep down in your heart that you have not yet given your life to Jesus, but you are convinced that Jesus was in fact a real person and Jesus has and will continue to pursue you, I want to invite you in the quietness of this moment to say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that you are real. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner, that I have not lived a perfect life and will never live a perfect life. Jesus, I want to receive the forgiveness that you offer to all who repent and believe. Jesus, I want to place my trust in you and begin a journey of walking with you. And as you change my world, may you help me to change your world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you had the courage and the conviction to pray that prayer, if I wasn't praying alone, I don't want to embarrass you. My email address is joel at erinabap.org.au. Send me an email and we'll have coffee this week and we'll begin the most wonderful journey that you could ever take. Friends, God is good. Amen.